Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No. You're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society how to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the Shaman School is a school that we all should have been a part of, one that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I've extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on the Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. Hello tribe, this is Shaman Durek and I am super happy that we are here to discuss life and all the amazing things that we get to experience in our journey and how we are soul um, expressing ourselves in this moment where we are in our evolution. So, you know, if we think about everything that's taking place, I mean, I just had the most amazing morning i was sitting in front of my altar talking to my ancestors i made an offering of 
of um, fruits and different types of things to them. And just the connection and the energy of, of, of just being there with them was so beautiful. And being in that, that moment with them and every day waking up, lighting candles and, you know, putting on oils and drumming and, and, and you know, and chanting and praying for the tribe, praying for myself, praying for my family. There's, there's something beautiful about taking those moments. And I find that by allowing that to, to express itself and move into a space where I'm able to make sure I have those moments for myself um, gives me so much energy. It's like I get super lit. I mean, like super duper lit and I feel powerful and I feel ready to take on anything and I can handle everything. I'm grounded. I'm centered. My, my, my energy and my body is vibrating and I'm at this very high optimal level of performance. And it's important for us to be able to take that time to create the space, create the altar, create the space for you to be able to step into that, that because the world is always about wanting to bring energy down, right? It's a, it wants to bring your energy down. It wants to um, make it so that you feel overwhelmed um, by everything that's going on and also get into a space where you feel uncomfortable with people or agitated or irritated or any of these things. And what we have to understand is that we didn't come here to earth to be irritated. We didn't come here to earth to be, to be annoyed or be fighting with people or yelling at people and warring with people or with ourselves in general. We came here to literally um, express love through liberation and being able to open that that doorway up. So every day we're supposed to be stepping into a space of looking at where we're restricting love, where we're holding back love, where we're limiting love and not allowing love to express itself. And that's where we're supposed to be. And so everything else that's taking place in our life is just a distraction from the truth of our evolution, which is for us to be able to change the environment and change the situation by finding higher ways that we can step into love. And that means, you know, that we have to look at the places inside where we are not capable of demonstrating love or showing up in a space of love for ourselves, for the planet, for people who may be irritating us or agitating us or getting on our nerves and pissing us off. We have to be able to go like, okay, so where's the part of me that's restraining love right now for this person or for this situation? And the system, the matrix's whole purpose is to make sure it gives you many reasons not to be in love, not to be in love with yourself, not to be in love with others, not to be in love with life. And therefore, you will continue to perpetually drown yourself in darkness because you will keep going into the darkness that the matrix created, which is to amplify every fear that you have. And when fear is present, right? Fear is there to, 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 how do you say in the most simplest way to not to expand you, but to literally um, suppress you and, and to, to limit you and to make you smaller, to make you deflated in your energetic field. And so everything in the universe is about expansion, right? So if we start off our days with expanded energy, 
and we find ways to keep creating that expanded energy, we're able to step into a deeper space of how we can associate ourselves and how we can move through any type of situation that may occur. Now, what we have to understand is that everything around you is wanting you to decrease. It's it. You know, people are coming up to you and wanting you to decrease your dreams, your aspirations, uh, your desires, make you feel bad about it, make you feel wrong about it, make you feel that, you know, if you do this, this horrible thing's going to happen. If you don't do this, you're not going to go to heaven. You know, um, all of these things that are there to make you feel less than. And that energy is literally a slave mentality energy. It literally is built in a system for the people or for those who are meant to be slaves and those who are meant to be slave owners. That means that people who are in your life who take ownership of diagnosing you and telling you where you're not good enough, where you're never going to be good enough and where your dreams can't be fulfilled. These are dream fulflator. These people are basically inflating the balloon, the beautiful energy of your dreams, the, the, the frequency of your dreams from expanding, right? And so that's why whenever you dream about anything, we have to understand that dreaming at nighttime is also done during the daytime, right? And so as you, let, let's, let's take for an example, like as you are walking down the street and let's say you notice trash in the street, right? That trash in the street, you look at it and you start thinking, oh, I wish people would clean up. People never do that. They're always littering. They're always like polluting the earth. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. In that moment, when you look at it from a spiritual context, Whose team are you really on? Are you on the team that is actually bringing solution to the pollution? Are you actually bringing more confusion and more pollution and more negative energy into the very thing that you're dreaming into? Because look, dreams are you actually looking at something seeing it and then what thoughts come from it is you dreaming it as a creator into manifestation. So we're all creators. And that's one thing we really got to get down. We got to understand we're creators. If you spend your time focusing on money and your thought of money is all the times that you don't have money or when you can't pay bills or you can't do this or can't do that, that means you're dreaming it into manifestation. In that moment, as the creator, you are looking at something and you are now creating a narrative and that narrative becomes the dream. And that dream then becomes your reality. And so people don't understand that when they're looking at things and they're going, oh God, the world's getting worse, then they're dreaming the world getting worse. And they're bringing that into their mentality of how they're looking at things. And then therefore it begins to expand and grow and become even bigger. And before you know it, um, it becomes the very thing you're living, experiencing on all levels of your being, both physically, emotionally, mentally. And that is a problem on our planet because people who don't know how to dream correctly. They think the only time they're dreaming is when they're going to sleep at night, putting their head on the pillow and, uh, and, and going off, you know, and into the, into the astral planes and dreaming are going into the astral planes where they learn, um, about how to use their powers in the dream world, be it lucid dream 
dreaming or being able to access different types of dream powers, but those things are meant for this world. So the key element is to learn how to become aware that lucidity of dreaming is no more than you being able to be aware of yourself dreaming. Well, then what are we saying here is that when you're in the waking world, you have to be aware that you're still dreaming right? And so every time you create a narrative about something, like if you're looking um, at someone and you're, and you're seeing all the beautiful things about them and looking for those beautiful things instead of looking for the things that aren't so great, then you're going to dream that into manifestation. And just by being in that conversation with them or just by, by thinking those thoughts, And so that's the key element here is that a lot of people think that if they focus on the negative, they'll find solutions to get rid of the negative. You can't find a solution getting rid of them by focusing on the negative. You can see what is there, but then don't apply some idea of negativity to it because then you start dreaming that into manifestation. You would apply the opposite. You would start dreaming about possibility. And therefore that then allows the universe and the spirits and the ancestors and the nature spirits and all of the different beings to be able to support you and assist you in and creating that as a physicality in your experience of life while you're here on planet earth and so i say dream a little dream let yourself dream a little dream Give yourself the reason to dream a bigger dream. Yeah, right? Because the thing is, you you start off with this this little dream. And I and I say little dreams are any dreams that make people feel comfortable. So like if I tell someone, hey, you know, I'm thinking of creating um, this new technology that basically is going to, you know, create change in the world and help people. And everyone's just like, yeah, that's so cool, you know, and they're just like, whatever, you know. But if I said, yeah, I'm going to create a technology that literally connects to you energetically and then energetically you can actually communicate through this technology to other types of beings and other dimensions and so forth and everything. And people are going to be like, what? How's that? And how are you going to do that? Did you did you go to college? Did you this? Did you that? You know, like people start coming up with every type of uncomfortable reason why they can throw something at you to kind of put a, uh, some kind of fear or some kind of lack or limitation or some kind of how are you going to do it or is that possible where are you going to come up with the money and this and that and the other that's when you know you're on the right path of how you're expressing your dreams in, into um, this physical realm through conversations with other people the thing is your dream should make people uncomfortable if your dream is not making people uncomfortable you're not dreaming correctly because your dreams have to start off big so that the energy is expanded because the spirits only operate in expanded energy they don't operate in decreased energy or limitation energy or lack energy right so when you're when you're operating in lack limitation energy you're going to call in different types of spirits that are going to move it in that direction Direction and keep it in lack limitation. And you're going to find a lot of roadblocks and a lot of difficulties getting into the place where you want to be for your highest success. So that being said, right, you want to be able to start off with a big dream 
You want to, when you talk about things in your life, you want to talk about things in a big way. You know, a lot of, I remember one time a friend of mine said to me, you know, you talk in a very big way, Shaman Durek, you know, and do you think that's, that's good to talk in that way? Cause it seems almost like you're exaggerating or, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking out of your ass or, you know, this kind of thing. And I was like, well, you know, uh, instead of getting upset and thinking, okay, this friend is absolutely being rude right now. I just simply said, you know, the reason why I talk in a big way is because I am a creator and creators need to be speaking in a big way so that the spirits and the energies in the universe can operate in that energy field. If we start off speaking in a small way and I start to play it down small because I because I should make you comfortable or another person comfortable, then what I am doing is basically saying that I'm going to see my dream in a limited way and therefore create limited circumstances and situations and roadblocks and all types of things to get in my way because I am not seeing in an expanded vision. I'm not seeing an expanded energy. So spirit doesn't operate in limitation. It operates in expansion. So the bigger, the better for spirit, because that way the ancestors and spirits can manifest it and bring it into fruition for me. So when I speak in a big way, it expands my energy, it expands my consciousness, and it expands the possibility field in my energetic field of what represents me and how my ego is perceiving the world. If my ego is perceiving the world as limited, then it will create limited markers that anytime something comes in that's big, it I will miss the opportunity or not be able to experience it because of the fact that it's been held in a limited frame. And therefore, I am not operating in that big frame that that thing is coming in as, and therefore I will miss it. And this is why people miss opportunities or why certain things don't happen for certain people and other things happen for others. Because look, the more expansive you are, the more it is for you to bring things into physical manifestation. The magnetizing energy field requires a big energy surge in order for it to activate energies, to move in sequence, to be able to build and create whatever is necessary for you in your vision, your dream, and your desire. So if you are operating in this idea like, oh, well, I just want to be able to, you know, pay the bills. That's very limited. So what happens is the spirits are operating who can make your you and a more abundant, prosperous person cannot really come in and support you because you're operating in a limited frame. So therefore, the spirits who operate in limited frame will come in and support you and the struggle and the difficulty and whatever will continue to, to um, you know, supersede the, the situations of you ever getting to the point of that higher success because the spirits of limitation will continue to bring thoughts into your mind that, you know, it's going to be hard, it's difficult, you know, it'll look for every type of excuse that it can throw at you for you to take it down even more and make it even more smaller and more limited until it becomes completely non-existent in your realm of thought or emotion or feeling or desire. So, that is the reason why it's important to always hold the highest level. When we say highest level, 
we're talking um, really understanding elevated consciousness. Elevated consciousness doesn't mean that you think you're a more spiritual than another person. Elevated consciousness means that you are able to see bigger visions for humanity, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for your lover, you know, whoever it may be. Um, you're able to see bigger, bigger expanded visions. And it also means that you're able to dream in an elevated way as a creator. So remember, creation is always dreaming everything into existence through the process of, see, of being in that expanded energy. So the more you are in the process of that expanded energy, the easier it's going to be for you to manifest. So the, the, the quality of your life will change like quantumly and like you will take quantum leaps in the quality of your life you know you may one second be um sitting on a a street corner and sitting at a bench and wondering how you're going to pay your bills and you know whatever it may be or you may be having difficulty in certain areas of your life i kid you not i did an experiment where i took this guy he couldn't he is his rent he couldn't pay his rent he didn't have a job he didn't have a girlfriend it was like non-existent, okay? And I basically sat him down and basically was expressing to him how to begin to think in an expanded way and how to begin to create an expanded vision. And the moment he was able to do that, two weeks later, he lands a huge job in New York City. They moved, they end up paying for him to move into this beautiful loft. And he meets this girlfriend who was a friend of his back when, but she saw him at a party and they started talking. She was, something's different about you. And they started hitting it off and started dating. He calls me up and tells me, within three weeks time, I got an amazing job working as a creative director for a huge um, company. I reconnected with an old friend and we are now starting to see each other. And everything has changed in my life in such a short amount of time. And how is that possible? And I said, it's possible because you've been teaching yourself through our conversation on how to dream bigger. So, so dreaming bigger is also realizing that you're dreaming. Lucid dreaming isn't just when you go to sleep. It's being aware that you're dreaming right now, right? So if I look at something, let's say, for instance, I look at the waters or the lake or I look at something in nature and I and I say, oh God, you know, it look the, the waters are so polluted and I can't believe people are destroying nature and so forth. That's what I'm dreaming. And therefore more people will destroy nature and the waters will become more polluted. But if I look at the waters and go, okay, I see where they are and go, you know, um, I, I love how the waters are learning to clean themselves through the help of humanity, finding ways to support nature and, you know, the ecosystem is getting repaired by people who care and love and are putting research into ways in which we can sustain nature and start really being able to change the atmosphere and the system and so forth. Literally, that I am dreaming into manifestation. So therefore, the universal fields of intelligence and energies will then begin to orchestrate those energies into manifestation. So it's really important for us to to recognize that. And it's really important for us to be aware of how powerful we are when we're setting into this state of motion of recognizing how to use our powers. 
I have so much more things I want to share with you about that, but we'll do it in other um, episodes of communicating and sharing my love with you all here on Ancient Wisdom today and have a beautiful and amazing, amazing dream and dream our world back to the place where we can all be happy, free, and liberated. Love you. Hey Tribe, so the Tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the Tribe. You can send that information to info at shamandurek.com and share your gifts with the Tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hey Tribe, we have another Tribe Share, a song called You Are by Lynn Alicia. You can find her Instagram at L-Y-N-A-L-I-C-I-A. Enjoy. part of me, that familiar, constricted, limited, static perception of self that has nothing to do with the real me. Will I choose to remain fixed in this manner which only assists in keeping me small, or will I choose to fan the embers of the real me, the power that I am? In this moment, I choose God. And thus begins a revolution. Dream, don't you hide? Don't you know that 
Hey Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors, who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open. But what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health, and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No, not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamandurek.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I am super excited to have an amazing, powerful woman, Monica Berg, who is here with us in studio. She is a mother. She's a wife. She's a sister, a daughter, a teacher, a friend, an Arthur, and a cardio enthusiast for Change Junkie. She is here to create the change and motivate and stimulate and lift you to higher places to give you a deeper understanding of what it is about to step into that space to create 
create that eternal spark of life that is living within all of us. And I am so happy because right now we need that more so than ever right now. And having a powerful woman who's here with us to share with us how to get into that place of authenticness and fearlessness and being able to move through all the challenges that show up for us so that we can continue to bring the highest level of potential in our lives and have a compassionate understanding on how to do so. I welcome you and thank you for being here, Monica Berg. It's great to be with you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. So I want to just go through and talk about your upbringing and, and share some of the adversities and the things that were happening to you when you were growing up. And how did you discover the Kabbalah? Because I love the Kabbalah. I lived in Israel for four years and, um, and I love everything about uh, the Kabbalah and the Talmud and the Torah and all these beautiful things that come from the past. And it's imp- I would love to hear how that was for you growing up and how that affected your life. Where did you live in Israel, by the way? That's so interesting. Yeah. So when I first moved to Israel, I was living in Haifa and then from Haifa to Ramla and then from Ramla to Ben Yudur and Bogoshov in Tel Aviv. Wow. We had a Kabbalah center on Ben Yehuda right there. That's so funny. Yeah. And one of my closest friends, Michelle, she would go to the Kabbalah center. And when I was going through a lot of difficulty in my life, she, especially when I was at later on in life, when I was in a wheelchair and the doctors were saying I was not going to walk again and all these different things, she brought me um, the Kabbalah book 22, the book 22. And she also brought me the Pinhas. And I would go and scan it every single day. And literally the spirits told me uh, to connect with her to get this book because they said it was going to help heal my legs to get out of the wheelchair. So I kept scanning and scanning and scanning and scanning and scanning. And all of a sudden I felt all this energy and codes and all this ancient language communicating to the cells of my body. And it strengthened me to get out of that wheelchair. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I could just interview you. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think that's why I was so excited to know that you were going to be um, with us um, in, in, in studio today, because I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to share with the community globally, um, your story and what, you know, your path has been and really give us more information in ways that we can strengthen ourselves from the things that you also have strengthened yourself with as well. I love this. I feel like we're really aligning in um, purpose and intention. I think that oftentimes people find spirituality or spiritual practice through adversity, through difficulty. Like you just shared part of your story about having health issues and that you really, there's an openness that's created. I always say that my story is more of a rediscovery. I remember as a small child, you know, age four or five, having tea parties with God. You know, God liked his tea black with lemon. I liked mine with milk and sugar. And I really have very specific detailed memories of that and what that feeling felt like, that knowing, that belonging, that safety, that security, certainty. And then, you know, you go through life. And and that's why a big part of my work today is for really people to learn to truly love themselves and to be at least self-interested enough to discover who they are, who they could become, that finding, that knowing, that changing. And so from 
around age uh, 12 or 10, rather, my family went through a lot of difficulties financially. There's a lot of stress in the home. Uh, We moved from New Orleans, which I loved living there, very happy childhood to Beverly Hills. And, you know, I got a quick education in what life of um, suffering and misery kind of looked like. And I became very disconnected with myself. I went to Beverly Hills High School. I got an education in a lot of different things. And then I found Kabbalah when I was 17. Uh, Just, I didn't know it at the time, but I was going to develop an eating disorder shortly after that. And when I found Kabbalah, it, I went from being somebody who, you know, I used to look at my pictures from my childhood and I would cry because I felt so far from that part of me, right? That, that connectedness, that innocence, that purity in the most beautiful, innocent kind of way. And, um, and not really understanding, you know, what's the purpose of being here? Why is there suffering in the world? Um, why is there hatred? Why are people focused on the wrong things? I remember by age 17, I was exhausted. If, you know, at that time, what I saw was a lot of wealth, people pursuing, you know, money, going to the best school, driving the best car. And I just thought like, I had seen so much at that age that if that's what it was all about, I was kind of not interested really. I wasn't suicidal, but I was like, this just, this can't be it. So when I discovered Kabbalah, it was, and I was actually in Israel, I went on a trip with my father, not connected to a spiritual kind of thing, but you know, he thought it'd be a nice bonding thing. And Israel, of course, is a holy land. And, um, but I met people there that I knew I had known. They were familiar to me. And I heard things for the first time in this lifetime that were really familiar before. It was very synchronistic. And that really started my journey, which has now been over 30 years of um, learning, studying, teaching, and living it, most importantly. You know, I'm just, I, I, like I said, I, I'm really happy you're here in in studio, you know, because it's great that we're having this conversation. I think it's really important. You know, I think that the, you know, what you said about like, is this it, is this, is this the, is this the acclaim or the goal of, of us in our human evolution is based on achieving some form of accolade or some form of achievement or some form of possession in order to just fill in the vacuous hole of our disconnection from source, our disconnection from creation and God and the playfulness, the spiritness, the devotion, the, uh, the ability to be creative in that process. Do you feel that by having that level of vision as a child, that 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 creative process enhanced even more by seeing the where we are um, not stepping into when it comes to our true relationship and how we can really begin to to benefit and to prosper from that level of connection versus being disconnected and focusing on things that only give us more of love and like and fake dissonance way of connecting individually and globally? Well, what I love about this question is having had that experience at a young age and knowing that I wasn't under any veil of illusion. I was a kid. There was nothing that anybody was impressing upon me. It wasn't something that somebody was telling me to believe. It was something I I knew to be true and I felt holy. So when I had gone very far from that, I had a, a point, a source that I could go back to. So I knew that where I found myself at 16, 17, I felt lack, I felt sadness. 
I felt desperation. I felt like I didn't have any answers and there's nobody to ask. And then I said, okay, but there was a time in my life where I know I felt safe and I know I felt taken care of and I know I felt secure. So I need to find my way back there. And I didn't know where that was, but I knew it existed. I think that some don't are not fortunate enough to maybe have that, or maybe they just weren't paying attention. I think everybody comes into the world with that knowing. I really do. And I think that our job in life and our role is to kind of find that again, rediscover it, reclaim it, and then live your life in that way, right? With with being connected to something greater than yourself, but also, and Kabbalah really hones in on this idea. It's really the premise of the teaching that we are meant to leave this world differently than how we came into it. And it doesn't mean that you don't like yourself. In fact, it means that you love yourself and the parts that don't serve you, you work through life to eliminate and to remove. So I think that that was the gift that I had. And so anytime I find myself in uh, adversity or having challenges, I go back to source. I mean, I go to source every day, but especially in those times where it's trying, right? And you're like, oh my God, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, I could be busy doing the the real work. Why do I have to be busy with this issue? I go back to that place of it's all from the creator and everything's for my greatest good. And honestly, usually the most profound lessons come in the packages that are not that pretty. I I agree hundred percent. I mean, I grew up in a family where power and wealth and position and who you knew and how you dressed and what car you drove and all of these things were, um, you know, one side of my family. And the other side of my family was the, sh- the shamanic side, which was more about our connection, our relationship to nature, our connection to everything that God created and the, the consciousness of shamanism, which is everything that God created, you should love and respect if you want to know your creator. And so, so the, so it, it was interesting for me being able to see one side where everyone was focused on these very, um, you know, I would say limited ways of feeling better about themselves in order to have, to feel that they can be received in love. And so my question for you is, well, let me ask you a question. Was that confusing for you to, to, to live in that reality where there was two opposing realities in essence, right? And I'm sure at some point you probably chose one and then you're like, well, this doesn't fit right. And then maybe the other, and then you've vacillated between the two. I'm just kind of curious about that. Yeah. You're a genius. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, I felt like I, you know, I went to one side and gave up all my possessions and like, you know, walked away from the money in my family and like, was like, I'm going to go live and, and, and be, and do me. And that's when I, and that's how I ended up in Israel because I was traveling the world and living in different countries and so forth. And I would be invited by people to come to their country and, 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 and bring my knowledge of shamanism and spend time with their families. And then it kind of grew and grew. And for me, and then it was like, okay, this is great, but there's this other part of me that's like, okay, but I, I, I want to have some possessions and I want to have these things. And it was kind of like these two juxtapositions. And, and what I found was the, the mindset. It was the mindset of changing the way I perceived these things versus what, um, how much, uh, power I gave to them and how much devotion I gave to spirit and making sure that my relationship with spirit was a two-way street. It wasn't just me begging and asking every time I came up upon a problem, but it was about me being able to, um, interact with spirit in a, in a very unique and playful way. Whereas like, for instance, a spirit would say to me, we need your help. Can you go and pick up these items on your planet and put it at this place at this time, at this moment, 
so that we can access the energies from your dimension. And I would go and do it, you know, so or became I became like a co-creator. Yeah. I became a co-creator with the experience of my playful child who is not to be attached to any of these things because I know I'm an eternal being. So if I, if I, I can enjoy these wealths and things, but it's not the wealth for me to, to hoard. It's for me to share. It's for me to give. It's for me to break bread. That's why I loved about Shabbat dinner was this, this, this connection of breaking bread and making Seder and doing all of these things that I felt that I fell in love with in Israel. And, um, and I loved how I would look in the streets and everybody would be in their homes with their families with a candle in the window, you know? And I said, why are we honoring these traditions? Why aren't we honoring these moments of connection and relationship? Why are we keeping ourselves so busy? And my question to you is, why do you think we do that as human beings from your knowledge and expertise? I think that, uh, you know, we, uh, another premise of Kabbalah is we live in the world of illusion. We live in the world of lies and we don't think we do. And we come into this world with that, right? Truth is kind of buried in the ground and everything that we see is a lie with the purpose of us discovering that and then rechoosing and claiming and finding truth. Most people aren't aware of that. That's what I love about these conversations. That's why I do what I do. That's why I spread the wisdom of Kabbalah, because if not, you will take everything seriously. You touched on a point a minute ago where, you know, and and this is the thing that most people confuse about spirituality. They think that they're not supposed to have desire. They think that they shouldn't want nice things or have things or own it and have pleasure. Well, I can tell you that I think we were all created to have pleasure. That's why, you know, we experience uh, orgasms. That's why we have a lot. If not, you would just have a baby and it wouldn't be fun also, right? Like, so there is that we are set up in this world to enjoy, to desire, to have now. We need to be able, and this is where spirituality comes in, to not just have the desire to receive for the self alone, but then to convert that to the desire to receive for the sake of sharing. So you enjoy, you partake, you have, and then you pay it forward and you give and you share. And if you have that balance and you create that and you really live by that formula, then you're going to have a happy life. We are meant, we are destined for joy and fulfillment that lasts throughout our lives. That's not wavering. That is absolute, complete, and unending. How beautiful. You know, that's also very much why I love uh, Moshe, because Moshe was taken in by the Midian tribe. And the Midian tribe, Jethro, who was the father of Zipporah, Jethro believed um, in the shamanic way. The shamanic way is that whatever you create, whatever you have, it should never be created for the sake of selfishness. It should be created for the sake of sharing and giving. And that's what I, one of the reasons why I pulled more into the shamanic side of my family, whereas my other side of my family started becoming more seven day Venice. They followed the Judaic um, Shabbats and rituals. The, the rituals, ritual, the ritual, the Yom Kippur. We had like one side of our sink was the meat. One side was the, really? the, the milk. Yeah. I mean, it was so confusing to my friends when they come to my house to be like, why do you have two drawers? Why do you have two sinks? I said, because one side of the cabinets and all the dishes on this side is this side. And one side on this side is this side. And, and this is the way it was supposed to be. And when Shabbat came, my grandfather would turn on a candle in the house. And then we would just sit and focus on God. And that's what we did. And we were not allowed to play. And I remember 
I remember distinctly telling my sister, you can have all my toys and all my things because grandpa said that if we play on Shabbat, the boy got striked down for, for, for carrying wood. And so we're not allowed to play on Shabbat. We have to observe God. So I'm going to play with his train set in the other room on Shabbat and see if God would strike me down. And so you can have all my toys. I packed it all in a suitcase for you. Her nickname is Lulu and I'm Ducky. And I was like, so Lulu, you can have everything. I'm when we go to grandpa's for Shabbat dinner, I'm going to, I'm going to see if God would strike me down. And then I went in the room and he has this huge room with choo-choo trains that go in all different directions. And I turned on the train and I started playing and I kept looking up, looking up as a little boy waiting for God to strike me. And then my aunt came in and she hit me. And that's when I realized it's not God that's striking me down. It's them striking me down. They're creating these rules and they're not letting me go through my creative process to be able to connect. And I, and, and, um, and I want to ask you when it comes to Kabbalah, what do you feel or what is the teachings um, around um, us being able to stay in that playful creative process versus getting so serious where we create so much strain and so much discord and so much uh, intensity because we're beating up on ourselves and we're hammering ourselves and we're not enjoying life. What does the Kabbalah say about that? Yeah. So this is what I love about Kabbalah. There are a lot of the, um, what would be perceived as ritualistic, right? There's a lot of things that you participate in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, um, eating kosher, like you said, meat and dairy sinks. And not everybody who studies Kabbalah does that, right? But if you do, if you do choose to do those things, Kabbalah teaches you the hidden reason behind it, right? That it's really just energies that you don't want to mix, for example, like meat and dairy together. And even if you just look at it from a health perspective, we know that it's really hard for the body to digest those two things. That's not recommended, right? Science supports spirituality, really. So my whole thing is this, and I have four kids and I haven't raised them by that way at all. I was not raised in a religious home. I was not raised with Kabbalah. And I think that that's what makes me unique in the way that I live in both worlds. I always kind of have, even when I didn't have a name for spirituality, I always was able to go in and out. I think that if something makes you behave far from your true self, from your soul, from the essence of the creator, then it's not something you should be participating in. So if you do things just out of religiosity and just out of tradition and because you're guilted and shamed into doing it, and if you don't do it, you're going to die or something bad's going to happen, don't do it because you're not getting any light from it. You're not getting any energy from it. You're not changing from it. You're not transforming. You're not growing, which at the end of the day is the purpose so you can be happy and fulfilled, right? That's the formula. So if you use these things as a tool for growth and for enhancement, it works. If you use it because you're terrified and you're afraid of making a mistake and you want to go to heaven when you die, you know, it just doesn't work like that. That's beautiful that you said that because there's a lot of people in the world who are living in these very rigid ideas and boxes that are limiting them from their creative freedom, their happiness, their joy, their pleasure, their orgasm, their everything, because they think that they're going to be punished or sent to hell or ridiculed or exiled um, from their families and ostracized from their community. And it's really beautiful to hear you say that because right now we have people who are on the planet right now walking around telling people that if they don't do this and don't do that in their eyes of what they believe should happen or how they believe someone should be living their life, 
that they are bad, they're not good, they're not that. So you have a lot more mental health issues that are showing up on the planet because people feel overloaded, they feel bombarded, they feel their boundaries are crossed over. You know, how can Kabbalah help with this type of situation that we're living right now today? Well, the advice I would give is that whenever somebody's pointing a finger at you and they're really telling you what's right and wrong and how you should live your life and you know, if you don't do that, then this is going to happen. If this, then that. You should pause for a second and say, okay, first of all, is this somebody who I want to emulate? Do I respect the way they live their lives or their choices? No judgment, but is this person worthy of emulation? One. Two, at the end of the day, the only opinion that really matters is the opinion you have of yourself. And I say that in the context of you're actually giving yourself emotional and spiritual feedback and you're self-aware, right? You're doing the work and you're on a journey, so to speak, whatever that looks like whatever spirituality you practice and, and that you feel like you're connected to something higher than yourself because everybody, no matter how you live your life, there will be a day where you come and you will meet your creator and you will understand all of the truth and all of the illusions of this world. So I think that the real mission of life is for people to be able to identify when they lie to themselves and where the truth of their soul resides, not their truth. Because that statement kind of irritates me, to be honest. Like, oh, this is my truth. Well, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true. You know, that's just emotion. Exactly. Um, But truth is being able to hear the whispers of your soul. What is your desire? What is your calling? Uh, Not what your job is even, but where are you most purposeful, right? Where do you feel like you're really contributing as just a being, as an energy? So when you go from that, it takes the emphasis away from external, external feedback, external validation, and it really becomes about internal. And that, from that space, you really can't go wrong. But it starts with really releasing the the, the illusions and releasing the false beliefs. And to do that, you know, you really got to let go of they. What do they think? That's the biggest lie of all. Do people like me? Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I've always said that. You know, people think success is all of these acclaims and so forth. And I always say success is living uh, guilt-free, shame-free, and and truly invoking liberation within your life. And and to live in that space is, is everything, you know, and that's what I live my life to thrive every day from a place of love with myself and friendship to achieve. But there's so many people on the planet who feel if they don't meet those expectations of other people or they're not uh, seen in the eyes of other people, as you said, they, um, they create an unnecessary suffering. And what's very interesting was when I died, when I was in my 20s, late 20s, I died in the hospital and I went to the other side. And one of the questions that I asked when I got to the other side was, because they said, you, you know, you can ask as many questions as you want to ask. And then I asked, well, why do, why do we suffer? Why do we have war? Why do we have pain? Why do we have this? Why do we have that? And the message they gave me um, was because of malfunction in thinking. They said that the technology of consciousness is not in alignment to the will and the heart. So human beings actually uh, uh, go against themselves. They're not for themselves. And this causes an imbalance. And so what do you feel um, in your feelings and your uh, vision is one of the things that we are doing right now that is causing a great deal of malfunction in thinking and taking us away from our true relationship with God? 
I think that it's two things. I think it's a lack of kindness, which includes of not giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. You know, like if you make a mistake, you're out. This cancel culture, it's just like, it doesn't leave space to really be or exist. And um, I think it's about thinking us against them. I think when we look at people, we think that they are one dimensional, you know, when in reality, we're nuanced. We're so multifaceted. There's so much inside of each one of us. And I think right now we're living in a scary place in the sense that people don't take the time to really be patient, to look past the judgment, past what you perceive. And the truth of the matter is, and and when you talk about perception, you only see people in the realm of what you know, right? You look at somebody and you're like, okay, from what I know and what makes sense, it must be this, or it must be that. I think we need to stop with all the judgment really. And it's just not doing a service to any of us. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. I feel like a lot of times when people even, you know, meet me or connect with me, they think, oh, he should be wearing mala beads and a dashiki and walking <laughs> around <laughs> sitting on under a tree somewhere, you know, not having money in my bank and, you know, and living a, a, a life of, of, of nothing in order to be of service for humanity. And there's a lot of misconception around that. Why do you think human beings uh, perceive these um, imbalanced ways of looking at people from the idea of what they think they should be spiritually versus, you know, what is in truth for that person individually? What do you think that's about? Well, here's the thing. It's funny because I have I had a conversation with my oldest, my 22 year old um, yesterday, actually. And uh, we were talking about judgment and he was making the comparison between he thinks people are more judgmental in New York than LA. Like I said to you, when we spoke earlier, we used to live in Los Angeles. We moved to New York eight years ago. And I said to him, uh, that's actually just not true. I think New Yorkers are just more open about what they're thinking. And in, in LA, you know, they're thinking it, but they're just not saying it to your face anyway. If you go to London, they're thinking it, but they're not saying it at all because it's like the British way to be really polite, right? So I was giving this whole talk with him about social norms And I think that if, and I think that it's, by the way, heightened if you're trying to be, or if you are a spiritual person, or if that's what you do for a living, for lack of a better word, right? And people put these added judgments, like if you're spiritual, then you should live in solitude or be destitute, or like you said, wear a certain thing. I mean, I get the same thing too. People think I'm a lot younger than I am. Um, I, I live on my own terms. I work out every day. Like I'm not going to change who I am Monica at the end of the day. And I'm not going to change those parts of myself that got me to the consciousness of where I'm at today. And by the way, I'm going to be a different person tomorrow. And I hope to be a different person the next day and so on and so forth for the rest of my life. But I think that we do this with everybody. And I think that people who seem unassailable, that they don't seem affected by people's opinions or they, um, are living their lives anyway, or, they might have success or things look like it comes easier. I think for those people who are experiencing lack, they it's painful to feel that, right? It's painful to feel uncomfortable to feel like you're not really living your life and you just don't know how to get out of the rut that you're in. So instead of actually stopping and saying, okay, what can I change about my reality? Most people say, okay, what's wrong with that person? Because they're making me feel really uncomfortable. And it's just a short, it's just a short, you know, I always talk about this too. There's designated issues, right? We, we assign things to be our issue versus dealing with our actual issue. So you might be my issue because I don't really want to deal with what's really bothering me, which is I'm not, I don't have a job, right? Like that's just how we operate as a whole. And I think it needs to stop. But where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that 
that kind of, um, cause you know, that's my home. And, you know, I have this whole feeling, um, that has come to me, um, a lot, especially when I was living in Israel, um, cause I was doing a lot of spiritual events and things like that. And we, it was a, during the time of a war and we had, a, it was a lot of Balagan going on. And I was being there for the people who were going through so much pain from the bonds and, you know, and the sadness and, you know, and all these different things. And I was looking at, you know, human emotion, human behavior. And how, when I look at the human behavior of humanity, I notice that there's this part of us that wants to project into other people instead of acknowledge our own triggers and what exactly is causing that. What do you think that's about from, from, from your um, understanding? I think, and it happens especially, I see it a lot among women. You know, there's a lack of sisterhood. I think that we start out being really close and I look at my kids and they, you know, what they wouldn't do for their friends, right? Their joy is their, the friend's joy is their own joy. But then there comes a place and it's for everybody. It's for both genders, but that we think that there's not enough for all of us. There's not enough success that's available to all of us. There's not enough to go around. So we start to knock each other down because we just don't think that we're able to have that also, Mm -hmm. which again is living in the world of lies. Absolutely. How many children do you have? Four. So tell me about motherhood and what it's been like for you um, on the planet. Because, you know, one of the things that I always talk about in society and when I'm traveling is how women's health care, women's, you know, support isn't as as structured and supported on the planet as it should be and that women have to endure a lot with all of these things that you're speaking about how has it been for you being a mother at this time in life where we are in the world today and how are you facilitating that uh what you need for yourself while bringing these messages to the greater populace well The way that I look at life is that I think that the universe is coming to support me. So it doesn't mean every day is easy or, um, and it's most certainly not as I expect it to be. It means that I lean into the challenges and the uncertainty of the day, right? As much as I have goals and desires and intentions, I'm also equal parts flexible that things might turn out opposite. And I go with that, right? So the way that I'm raising my children is exactly that way. I don't think in terms of motherhood or parenting, I think people make the mistake in putting their own lack, their history, uh, their lack of opportunities, let's say, or things that they didn't achieve. And they put it on their children because they see the children as an extension of themselves. Mm -hmm. And of course, physically, that is true to some extent. However, spiritually speaking, these are just souls and they've come into our lives because we have a responsibility and we have an ability to help guide them and direct them to what their unique purpose is. So I never make their existence about my purpose. I really try to help navigate them to discover their soul, their truth, their desires. And by the way, you know, do I want them to be spiritual? Do I want them to study Kabbalah? Do I believe that I've cracked a code to something and it's a happy existence? Yes, but it has to be their choice. And we talk about that. I think we speak about everything openly and every time they ask me a question, I turn it around and say, okay, well, how do you feel about that? You know, what feels authentically true to you? If you decide that, what will that look like? If you don't decide that, what will that look like? I'm not going to be there forever for them. And they need to be able to learn to hear that voice of their own. And what do you feel right now in the world is something that parents are doing that is actually damaging or causing 
um, difficulty for their children um, in their future ability to be in that space of joy and happiness and freedom and elation and all of that. What do you feel that parents right now need to hear or what they're doing that could actually be hurting their children? You know, I think that the the main, if I had to give one parenting advice, I think that it would be, you know, don't raise a child that's going to be easy for you or uh, not a problem or not a hassle. Raise a child that you would like as an adult, right? You want them to be a leader, a thinker, independent. If you raise a child to, you know, do what I say because I said it and I'm your parent, then guess what? When you're not the, the main voice in their head and you're not the most important relationship they have and they get in high school, they're going to take that same belief of do what I say, don't think for yourself, and it's going to be what their friends want them to do. So I think that that's one big mistake that parents make. And I think the other, again, is really having them live either the life they wish they had or what they think is the right life to live according, again, to other people's beliefs you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, whatever it is. And it's, you have to look at your child for who they are and who they're supposed to become. And to do that, you really have to remove your own agenda. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm just going to clap for you (laughs) because that was so well said and so poignant, powerful, and potent. I call it the three P's. It literally is something I really want people to rewind and listen to if they are a parent. What have, what have you noticed has been some of the challenges for you as a mother, as a wife in today's age and and where we are in our evolution? Well, I think a mother being a mother and being a wife are two very different roles. And I, I actually really separate the two. I think some women make the mistake of not doing that. They're a mom and then sometimes they're a wife. And it's just, I I think it's, you really have to be very clear about what you want to put in those relationships and they're different and they're unique. And to be honest, you know, and I know, I don't know if you're going to believe me, but I don't really, again, I'm not looking for external, right? So I'm not, I'm not having any issue in the world or whatever, because how I raise my children is sacred and it's in this home. And it's, it's something that's very real. It's not based on anything external. And the way I am in my marriage is exactly the same. Now, if the foundation was weak in any of those and I was reliant on a lot of external things out in the world, I'd probably be struggling right now. Do you feel that Kabbalah has strengthened your relationship with, within your, your love romantic relationship and also within your social group of friends and so forth? Oh, 1000%. I think that in friendships, I think environment is everything. And if, um, you know, I really try to surround myself with people that are curious. I think if you're curious, you will ask questions and you will be open to change. And for me, that's number one. You know, you can have fun with people, but that's never really going to be enough. You can love people, but that's really never enough. I think to have people that you can grow with, that you can speak to, that you can change and they don't expect you to be the same friend or the same partner. We are always changing. And if you have a partner or friendship that will meet you there, then it can last and, and, and grow. And every relationship is destined to be better than it was the year before. So I don't think, I know I actually wouldn't have that understanding and therefore I wouldn't have the relationships I have if not for Kabbalah, for sure. You are a plethora of information and you speak so eloquently. I absolutely adore you. You're amazing. I'm so, so, so fully like honored 
to, to listen to you speak. It, it has so much wisdom in it. I mean, seriously, um, I would love to, um, to really go into, you had mentioned cancel culture and I, I really want to get your thoughts on it. And now I'm very much into like really digging into your wisdom, um, which I think is important because you, like I said, you're such an amazing speaker. Um, why do you think we have it right now? Why are we having cancel culture? I mean, I grew up in the seventies we didn't have cancel culture in the eighties or the nineties, or at least I don't remember anything of that nature. Why, why are we having this now? I think that there's something else leading to that. I think that we're in a time now where people are tired of feeling that they don't have any control that other people are deciding their future or their destiny, or, you know, there's a lot of that now. And then you couple of that frustration with social media. You can say anything and then it just goes viral and everybody has access to it. And it's kind of like, you know, you start um, tsunamis, you know, here and then a tidal wave there. And it's just like, and it goes and goes and goes. I think people are able to speak now with really not having to take responsibility for their words. And that's very dangerous. And I don't think that we had the ability to do that before in the way that we do now. What do you think is spiritually missing from the equation that allows us to be able to come into more acceptance as human beings? I think empathy. I think benefit of the doubt. I think kindness. You know, if you look at those words, it really is what is the essence of the creator. Like in Kabbalah, there's something called the 99% realm versus the 1%. Run percent is everything that we feel, test, touch, taste, see, smell. It's our five senses, right? And most people choose a partner based on that, a career, a life, and it's limited because looks will fade, money may go. You know, it's just never enough, right? Even sex changes. When you start to view life in the 99%, which is all those things that we actually can't see, right? It's the ability for you to be in Los Angeles right now and me in New York and to be able to talk as if we were sitting here across from each other in person. There's a lot of things happening that we can't see. We know it works, but we rely on it. If we understand that, right? And again, those are things like empathy and kindness, but that's really what we need more of. And to see how we're more connected, I think that's what's going to change the world. But it's you need conscious people to do that. You need people to really understand there's too much at stake here. You know, where will the children be in in decades from now? I mean, we we've gone I, I but my my belief is you know, you go so far it kind of explodes and then we're going to find our way back and then we'll be in the middle somewhere. And this I think needed to happen. I think we were going this way for a really long time actually. I, I agree hundred percent. I talk about it for years. I said that there's going to be a situation, I call it the blackout. I said, there's going to be a situation that affects the whole global world to make us take responsibility and look at what we deem valuable and what we deem not valuable and what we have taken for granted and where we need to step in and have more integrity and more spiritual maturity. And um, so, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you on that matter. And um I wanted to ask you, how are you standing for others to find their purpose and voice? Well, I speak about this a lot. Um, my first book is called Fear is Not an Option. I talk a lot about how uh, it's easier to say nothing and do nothing. Uh, we all have a fear of being ostracized. It's ingrained in us. When we were cavemen, you know, if you stood out and you were different, it could mean life or death, right? People were meant to fit in and belong. Because if not, you know, you couldn't get food for yourself. You needed to be part of this pack. So a lot of what's going on is that we're operating on really old software. I think that if 
people understand though that you know fear is not an option it's not a place to be and if you if it's no longer an option you look for things that are an option it's really about just switching the way that you see the world and and where and how you want to be part of that you know again the things that we fear the things that we worry about are not really real it's the things that we never think about actually that become what we need to focus on absolutely and i wanted to get your thoughts on you know um on you know in in shamanism we say that the elderly women of tribal culture are the wisdom holders and the gatekeepers for the new wisdom to come through. But when we're constantly disregarding women for their age and pushing them out of society, um, this can cause a lot of problems. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I really like this question and I've never been asked it, believe it or not. I think that we give a lot of attention to children and youth and I think that when people get older, it becomes hard for most of us to see because we fear it again, right? We fear getting old. We fear looks fading, minds fading. And so it's easier just to discard somebody than to actually say and see the truth that we are all changing. You know, my father passed a few months ago. My mother-in-law, who was like a mother to me, passed last September. And it really changed what I understood about death and my relationship with death. And I've come to understand that death is just the next cycle of life. So, and we don't understand that because again, we're limited by our physical body, which I'm grateful for because none of us are ready to transition yet. But we understand that a child or an infant will eventually become a toddler, will become, you know, a a child will become a teenager, a young adult, an adult, and then elderly. That last stage, we tend again to ignore, to not think about, and it really just comes from fear. But if you understand that when death comes, it's just the next level is that the soul can really grow to its highest form and it doesn't need the body anymore. It changes, I think, the way that you look at that stage of life. And my grandmother is 95 and she is a wealth of information. I love when she shares things and um, and she's so strong. And I think that like to to disregard that is really just, you're not willing to be truthful with yourself. It's not about them at all. Do you feel that that's affecting us in our evolution and how we operate in the way in which we build our emotional intelligence? 1000%. I think a lot of people spend time on staying frozen at 70 and try to re- reverse the aging process. And, um, you know, I, I used, there was a time where I felt like, and this was many years ago, you know, at this age, I should have written that book, or at this age, I should have done this and that. And then I thought like, that's so naive and silly because if I had written my first book at that age, it wouldn't have been good because I didn't have the knowledge that I had when I actually wrote it. Right. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. It's just, it's, it's, it's why deny any process of your life? Because it's, it's, it's always going to be connected to your soul. You know, that's, that's going to go with you. At the end of the day, you don't leave with things. You don't leave with your body even. You leave only with your soul. So I think that we should start to really think about how we can enjoy those years of our lives, how we can enhance that part of our lives so we can be strong forces and beings. And in fact, I think people who are elderly and start to kind of waste away, I think that they've lost desire. When you lose desire, you actually do start to go backwards. You know, it has nothing really to do with age. I think that when a person lives a life where it's very much ego based, 
desire starts to wane around 60 and 70. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm so happy you are, you're answering to these things because, you know, sometimes when I ask questions, some people are just like, okay, I'm going to go a little too deep and da, 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 da. <laughs> these are really important questions I feel. And I feel like, you know, people need to hear these perspectives and these understandings. Um, you know, what is your thoughts when it comes to pleasure? Let's talk about pleasure, orgasm, experience. A lot of people nowadays are feeling shameful around sexuality, sex, pleasure, orgasms, feeling within their own body space. What do you think? Um, what is your wisdom on that? Well, I think that's a story as the beginning of time. I think that because it's a time where you're most vulnerable, there is the possibility for it to go terribly wrong, right? And for there to be a lot of shame attached or insult or injury, right? It's, it's a place where there's an openness. Um, but I think that when we get to a healthy space, even for people who didn't have that initial experience in that way, it is set up the way it is. If you have a partner, right? And this is on us to choose somebody who is capable of receiving our love and receiving our vulnerability and being able to offer, give, take love in this most beautiful, balanced, harmonious way. Sex is just love in motion. So when you understand that, and, and of course, again, the mechanics of it is it is meant to be pleasurable. Why is that, right? It's not meant to be. If it was, if it was something bad, it wouldn't feel good. But again, there's a healthy way to do things and there's an unhealthy way. I mean, even if you look at anything that kind of is pleasurable, even alcohol, right? It's nice until it's not. It depends what you do with it. So I think that that's our responsibility. But first we have to have a healthy belief system about that it's okay. It's meant to be beautiful and sacred and loving and you know all of, all of it, right? It's just to find um, first that space within yourself and then find a partner that's worthy of giving and receiving in that way. Wonderful. Thank you so much for answering that. I think there's a lot of people in the world who needed to hear your knowledge and your wisdom on that matter and really be able to take in because there's so many people on the planet right now who are restricting themselves and causing this restriction. Um, what does the Kabbalah say about restricting and limiting yourself how, what is the, the, the context of how Kabbalah can support people to be more open and more expansive, to live their best life instead of dismantling their life? Well, I do think that restriction is a healthy part of living, though. I think that we should restrict before we just go all in. I don't think that you're meant to give that part of yourself to just anybody. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think that there should be first a part of restriction and then eventually you are completely open and then it, it has this beautiful balance and it's it's meant to be as it should. I think far too often people give the best parts of themselves and not only sexually to the wrong people, to people who aren't capable of receiving it because of their own self-lack, right? And, and you give it away too early instead of really being that for yourself first. So, you know, I always say to people and my other book, Rethink Love, the first eight chapters are about the relationship you have with yourself. If you can't, you know, and we know it, it sounds like a cliche. If you can't give it to yourself, you can't give it away. But the truth is you wouldn't be able to even recognize what love is if you haven't first really experienced it. And some people are fortunate to have been raised by parents who could offer it. Others are not. So you have to be able to cultivate that for yourself. When you do, 
And they, like my story with God at age four, it, it's like, oh, I know what that is. I've experienced that before. So now I know what to look for. Now I know what I should receive. Now I know how it should be. And far too often people are very impatient in that process. It's like, oh, I just want what that person has, or I just want that romantic thing I saw in that romantic comedy or the love story of these poems and books and film. And, you know, we really do ourselves a disservice. Everybody is meant and destined for love. Everybody, it's our birthright. But some of us have a different way of getting there. And the onus is on us to find that. In, in, in the understanding of love when it comes to relationships and connection and so forth, there's a lot of people in the world who stay in abusive relationships saying they'll leave once the kids go off to college or they'll continue to put up with people putting them down, calling them names, subjugating them, disrespecting them. And, you know, the, the whole gamut of things. What is your wisdom and thoughts around people who stay in abusive relationships? Why? And what is your way? Um, how does uh, the knowledge that you have through Kabbalah and your, yourself uh, support um, more information for people to be able to come out of those situations? I think that people who stay in abusive relationships, I think that they are waiting for the person that they first fell in love with to come back. And I don't think that they realize that that person's never coming back. Instead, it's good, it's juicy. The person they're with is the abuser, right? So I think that, again, if we talk about the world of lies and truth, it's just repeating that lie over and over again. Like, oh, but he was good and he is. And no, that person is gone. And now you need to be truthful and be there for yourself. Um, I don't think people should ever stay in an abusive relationship ever, ever, ever. You end up sacrificing yourself. If you have children, you sacrifice their lives. It's just, there's never a scenario I can say that that would be okay. And I think in terms of divorce, it's very tricky. It's very hard on children at any age and at, really at any age, it affects them. Of course, if a, if a couple divorces and they are friends and the, parent, and the children can still see love between these two people that created them, of course, that's the best case scenario in those situations. And I and my only advice, and I, I really do believe this, I think often people exit relationships too soon. There's something called tikkun in Kabbalah, which is your correction. And it means that through incarnation after incarnation, when you come back, you're going to be put in a situation that mirrors something that you need to change or grow or perfect. And, um, and so when people leave a relationship where even if that relationship, that's not the love of their lives and they want to move on, still that person is in your life for a reason. And so when you exit it, if that's what you choose to do, go all the way to the end, meaning at least be friends when you exit or say everything you need to say or try everything you need to try to kind of make it okay because you want to go fully through the end of the process before you exit. Do you, what, what, what happens when so the person um, on the other end that you are that you are you know, wanting to exit with this, this beautiful energy, uh, in this way, as, as, as my friend, when it says conscious uncoupling, uh, what is it, um, when the person doesn't respond in like and kind where they become volatile or dismissive or, um, vengeful, what would you, what would your advice be in that situation for women and men, you know, um, and, in, in navigating that? Well, we can't control anybody else's response. The, the goal here, though, is that at the end of the day, you want to feel good about your choices. And to be able to do that is to say, okay, did I do everything that I possibly could? Did I say everything? Did I try everything? And did I leave in a way that I feel that I had integrity? 
You cannot control the other person, but you certainly can make sure that you do the things that you need to do because who wants to have regret five years from now or 10 years from now, especially if the kids are like, oh, look what you did, you know? And whether that's true or not, I just think that far too often people don't say what they need to say, don't do what they need to do because it's uncomfortable. And my point is you're going to be much more uncomfortable later in life if you don't see it all the way through. And in fact, chances are you're going to mirror, you know, you're going to have another relationship that mirrors the last one because that's what Tikkun is. So Tikkun is uh, a learning experience. Is that, is that my understanding? It's a correction. And it's really, it hones in on where a person, let's say for instance, somebody has difficulty in relationships or somebody has difficulty with money or marriage. It's like a theme that reoccurs. Or let's say that it's hard for you to speak up for yourself, right? And then you find yourself in life again and again, people challenging you to stand up, to speak your truth. You're going to hit on a theme of your life of what you need to change for your own growth and for your own transformation. And by the way, there's levels, right? Once you do, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna cross that off my list. And then you're gonna get another opportunity. Like just when you think that you've got to the place you need to, you're tested again, but not because God is punishing, not because you're a bad person, but because you're meant to grow. And this is the only way that we really, really grow is when we have those opportunities to really step up and, um, and do what's uncomfortable for us. Oh, beautiful. Um, I, I, I'm so thankful to having you here and sharing so much. How can people get your books? How can people find you for more of your, your beautiful, delightful wisdom? How can people get in touch? Uh, so you can follow me at monicaberg 74 on social media. My blog is rethinklife.today. My books are available on Amazon and my husband and I have a podcast called Spiritually Hungry. Oh, absolutely wonderful and delightful. And I'm so gracious that you came here today to share your wisdom and answer these questions for everyone in the world who are listening. And thank you so much, Monica. Thank you. It was really a pleasure to speak with you. I've created The Healing Temple because people all over the world want and need healing, but don't have the access to those healers or can't afford them. One of the biggest high-ticket items in the world today is remote healing, but some sessions cost hundreds to even thousands of dollars. And for only $10, The Healing Temple is a collective space for people to come together every Friday for 30 minutes. Participants are opening a wellspring of abilities, alleviating stress and brain fog, where the mind becomes more optimized and performance-based, and where you learn to utilize energy to up-level your consciousness. The Healing Temple also helps to break down walls where you begin operating in awareness of wellness, feeling ambitious and inspired like things are really changing in your life. Inside the Healing Temple, you're also stepping into a world where you might experience phenomenons that you thought wasn't possible. Something as small as a chill or the hair standing on the back of your neck becomes like an opening door. Some members have even said they've experienced increased psychic abilities and that these sensations have intensified with following sessions. I've trained my powers to impact change and I've learned how to get results. 
Who doesn't want to feel good? The Healing Temple is not only beneficial to you, but also to those around you. Because when you're feeling good, you shine that positive energy onto others. Your partner, your children, co-workers, even your dog or your cat. Everyone around you begins to feel better because you are feeling better. It's a rippling effect that's much needed on this planet. We need the Healing Temple more than ever right now because of all that's happening in the world, the social political structures, calamities, chaos, and feelings of hopelessness and despair. The social climate is on high and this pressure cooker is taking a negative toll on how many of us feel. The Healing Temple offers comfort on a global level because when more people are feeling good, the more kindness, generosity, and realness is generated. For only $10, I invite you to become part of the community that seeks to do good, to feel good, and to make this world a better place. Go to shamandurek.com and click the Healing Temple to join our wellspring of healing, restoration, and elevated consciousness. See you in the temple. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit.